What's going on everybody, Brad here. Just to let you know, the intros and outros of this episode were pre-recorded, so if there was any news or discussion points I didn't cover, that's why. We'll get back to up-to-date coverage shortly, and of course, stay tuned for any bonus episodes if there is any news to cover. Thanks, everybody. Everyone, remain calm. Back for more, huh? Oh, yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? <laughs> this was all John Hammond's dream. <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 245th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In today's episode, we introduce a brand new segment for the podcast called The Hatchery with Dakota Morgan. Now, we discussed this uh, segment a little while back. Uh, I think uh, Dakota joined me to discuss Camp Cretaceous and uh, all of our expectations at the time. But today, I am happy to finally debut this segment in full. If you guys uh, didn't hear about it previously, The Hatchery will focus on the animatronics of the Jurassic series. I think it is obviously a great topic of discussion and something that we don't necessarily cover too well in depth here on the podcast so with the hatchery you'll get to hear the ins and outs the trials and tribulations and all the details that'll make you love the animatronics even more we hope you all really love this one so today dakota will be breaking down the epic rexy animatronic from jurassic park please do not miss this one it's an epic introduction so please enjoy it but enough of me rambling why don't we go ahead and get this episode kicked off by cracking into the hatchery to get a glimpse at a T-Rex animatronic. Well, the dinosaurs are clearly very professional and they, they hit their marks and they're always coming to work on time. The bird theory that if they, you know how we have breathers and everything, yeah. it would be neat if we could have these guys going Oh, really fast, like really fast. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay, uh, Mr. Wizard. I couldn't help but freak out the entire time. Like, it was, you know, as if I was in front of a real dinosaur. Uh, we've actually gone more practical with every Jurassic movie we've made since the first one, and we have more animatronics in this one than we have in the previous two. Look, it's not as if any of them are very ex- experienced. For all of these dinosaurs, it was their first movie, and uh, given that they were, they're new to the business, I thought they did a very good job. Hey Jurassic fans, this is Dakota Morgan coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, and a new segment, The Hatchery. Yeah, uh, you know what, as a SFX artist, uh, prop maker, costume maker, actor, writer for film, also comic book writer, I thought it'd be really cool to work with Brad and the rest of the Jurassic Park podcast crew on The Hatchery, a new segment where I talk to you guys about the dinosaurs in the Jurassic franchise. Specifically, though, the animatronic dinosaurs because there's so much history to these guys and how they were built is truly amazing and the stories on set you might hear about, all sorts of stuff like that, and hopefully you guys enjoy it because there are so many fascinating things about these dinosaur animatronics throughout the franchise. From Jurassic Park, Lost World, all of them. Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, the couple that they were in Jurassic World. 
But enough, there is so many things to talk about with them. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. The first up that we have for this first segment ever of the hatchery is the animatronic T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Figured, start big. Hopefully you guys enjoy First thing you guys should know about this little baby dinosaur is there was actually two animatronics built for Jurassic Park. For the T-Rex, of course. There was many more later on, but for the T-Rex, there was two animatronics, not just one, that they built. And everybody always thinks there's only one, but there was two built by Stan Winston Studios and headed by Stan Winston himself. One of the T-Rexes was a full-size one and was 37 feet long. The other one was built from the torso up and was but both were actually controlled by telemetry devices. Now, in order to create an animatronic dinosaur, you can't just build it. You can't just build it from scratch and whatnot. Like, oh, it's fine. Just maybe get the shape of the painting or the concept art. There's actually a lot more to it than that. The first step, though, in designing the T-Rex was one thing. It came from building a full-size maquette from modeling clay that was used to go over the model and make the foam latex skin to go over the interior hydraulics. So they used the model as a basis, to say the very least here, to make the skin to then go over the hydraulics that you're going to build. Now, I want to make this clear. I am terribly sorry if I mispronounce these names on here. It is not intentional. I don't often hear these names or really ever, which is a shame because everybody who has worked on any of these animatronics, or actually in any piece of these films, their names should be known, no matter how big or how small. Just saying. But first up, we have Richard Landon. He's the first, and he built a 16th scale maquette for color scheme concept and a fifth scale maquette to construct the shape of the full scale maquette. So really, you had to start really small and then work your way up and make the details and the facial features, skin features, tail features, all that sort of stuff on there. You know, you got to start small to get to detail and then you work your way big. It's actually a metaphor for life there. The interior armature done by Richard Landon was crafted by steel, steel and wood in the original shape of the maquette and then chicken wire over the frame of that and then a fiberglass little uh, sheet over that as well plus hardware cloth over the wire meaning there was a lot of expensive materials that were used to like make the body itself over to make the shape of the maquette to say the least here which is the, the rex body itself i should make that clear the maquette is the rex body the maquette was actually made, and it was really heavy, to say the least here. If all that stuff on there combined doesn't make you think, wow, this sucker's got to be heavy. Well, it was, because it actually was made with up to three tons of clay. Three tons of clay. That's a lot of clay. And also really expensive. And even for the time period, that's still really expensive. The main body, though, was done by Joey, like I said with the names before, Orozco, I believe, Mark Jurinko, Bill Basco, Robert Thunderstein and Gray Forget. And the legs were done by Lenberg and Christopher Swift and Michael Tradek did the head and the neck of the, of the first maquette. And it actually took a long time period to make this baby. She was a lot to her, and all this stuff here actually takes a lot longer because the process to make the maquettes, even the animatronics and whatever may be a puppet, it takes such a long time, I don't think people realize it, but because this Rex took about 16 weeks to sculpt. And because of the clay and whatnot, they actually started with aluminum in the very, very beginning. But because of the weight of the clay, three tons of it, they had to switch from the aluminum skeleton to the steel frame. Because the steel on there, like I mentioned before, is made of steel. But before that, the aluminum, of course, aluminum is bendable and whatnot too. So when you try to make your little bone structure and whatnot, it's not going to work. Well, and the body itself, it's not going to work because it's going to bend with three tons of clay in there. So they switched to steel. 
makes sense physics. Now, the full-size animatronic, though, because nearing that stage of the process of building Rexy, which actually we'll get to the Rexy name in a minute, the full-size animatronic was designed by Bob Gurr, and actually they used hydraulics to make the body be able to move and whatnot. So that means a whole lot of pressure being able to move, plus you have the animatronic, the, the metal on there. You have so much of this dinosaur that you're going to have to make move. You're going to have to use hydraulics in order to make her move right and fast like she did in the movie, and she was fast. Now, here comes the part where you go, and it's like Herschel. He always says, you go outside, you risk your life, Rick. Well, it's like that. When, when you build a dinosaur, you risk your life. Talk to FX artist Alan Scott about it, because in order to glue the skin onto the animatronic, they actually had to, he actually had to go inside the mouth because you had to glue it and sew it in order to get it to stay and whatnot, which makes sense. So when the rubber skin was done being made and crafted, what happened was Alan had to go inside. He crawled in, and they, it was always the pr uh, procedure to... I mean, first off, though, who's going to want to climb in that T-Rex's mouth? Because that means the teeth are on there. Everything's on there. It's what it looks like in the film, just without its skin. But as they're sewing it on the outside, he has to go on the inside. The brave, brave man climbs in. And like I said, the procedure was make sure nobody trips over a wire. Make sure it's off. So the head would be raised up in the air, really high up there, and it would be raised. He would climb in. One day, though. Something happened, and it turned on, and it was starting to move. It's not going to go well for you if you're in it, to say the very least here. So what happened was they actually had to have four people, as they're screaming, scrampering all around, and wanted to get it to open up. He's screaming for help. They open up the jaw. Four people have to open up the hydraulic jaw, and they yank them out of there and whatnot. Now, you, if you, if you say something happened to you, you could be claimed as the first man to be eaten by a dinosaur and a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And again, the movie would have been scrapped, and we've never seen it in... None of us at the podcast would be here today. So there's that versus man being eaten by a dinosaur. We know which one we want. <laughs> Say the least here. Now, the Richard Landon also saw the construction of the animatronic, and it made its legs move on a separate track as the body, meaning that this, there's going to be two separate tracks of the hydraulics and whatnot and controls and everything like that for the legs versus the whole body. So it's not just one giant control panel and trying to you would need four arms is all i'm saying here you'd have to have four or eight arms in order to be able to do it that's why it literally took an army to build and control rexy on the set which we'll get to in just a minute now the one rex that we're talking about right now the full one it took about four people to control and was actually nicknamed wally on set for some unknown reason i have no idea why i think there's maybe a couple reasons out there i've been hearing from people but wally was the name of the rex the full size built rex animatronic no idea why <laughs> Rexy sounds a whole lot. Wally's been taken. I'm sorry. Wally, Pixar took Wally. You can't have Wally anymore. Deemed why? It's Rexy. Now, on finalizing on the skeleton before they put on the skin and whatnot, Armando Gonzalez was the welder, the welder who actually finalized the skeleton before the skin was added. So, meaning he went in and finalized it and made all the final touches and whatnot. So that had to be a nerve-wracking job within itself to be, you know what? If you mess up, Armando, it's all going to break. Hundred thousands of dollars and a lot of man hours gone down the toilet. Oh, good luck. <laughs> Just a little bit of nervousness. So the skin note, the skin, what like we talked about before that Alan had to go in and so on, was actually something very interesting because it was two inch thick foam rubber. Now there's so much chemistry involved in order to make that foam rubber. A lot of chemicals being mixed in one of so much so that's a whole separate podcast on talking about that. It's actually uh, the Stan Winston Institute does so many good things about that with making the foam latex skin and whatnot. There's so many classes online so Stan Winston still lives on. 
through a school, and I recommend go checking it out. It's all online, too. So in order, though, to be able to put the skin on, it was actually, and so, you know, Alan can risk his life, the skin was actually crafted in the sections and then separately put on, and one, which makes sense, because if you if you tried to make a full skin and then try to put it on, it wouldn't, the pup, it wouldn't work. It'd be way more difficult to do, so they crafted Rexy's skins, like a leg here, a leg there, a tail, a head, a neck, the body, well, the torso, all sorts of stuff like that was done separately, and it's a lot, it's thick foam and really heavy and such as well, because the full Rex was minimum 4.5 tons minimum 4.5 tons that's a hefty hefty dinosaur right there and plus two she was also 40 feet long meaning the warehouse where they filmed with her in it such as you know the the fence breakout scene and the many other ones that are in there to say the very least here um we you know fence breakout scene was the big one that rexy animatronic was featured in to say the least here and so with that that was a big warehouse and so they actually had to transport rexy in the pieces uh, and bring her through into the warehouse and whatnot. So it's a big filming warehouse. They filmed the fence breakout scene and the paddock breakout, I should say. Big warehouse. Because also, she would raise her head up to at least 24 feet in the air. Is how tall she would get. So this is a massive film warehouse at Universal Studios. Plus, you have all the people in there. And actually, the pipe, pipe work and whatnot that would make loud sounds because of hydraulics and such like that as well was actually stored outside the warehouse. So people who worked on set would often say how fast she would move. She would uh, move incredibly fast like they were used to seeing in the uh, building warehouse. But on set, the problem was is she had made no sounds. It was only a hiss from the hydraulics and a low hiss at that. So they said it was absolutely terrifying. And actually, for these Rexes, we're going to get to the second one in a, in a minute here, but the rain that they were using and whatnot, and also when they would do outside scenes, the rain would actually cause malfunction. This isn't... An, this is a legendary story, to say the least, but of course I gotta mention it, you know. The rain caused malfunctions due to the heavy part, like the rain being soaked into the skin would call, cause her to move and do some of her actions when it would mess with the electronics in it because uh, they both used uh, pre-programmed movements. So, and something sort of newer at the time too, so the tech was not as good as it would be now. And she would all of a sudden start moving, there would be, she would start hitting stuff and start doing all her like roaring and everything like that and scare Everybody to death. And Kathleen Kennedy, one of the producers, she would often tell stories about it. And so would all the other cast and crew. Like, yeah, we'd just be eating lunch. And next thing you know, the Rex is moving and we all running. Which, as an FX artist, let me tell you, that's amazing and beautiful. And also, citizen scientist and paleontology, I would love to be able to see that. And hopefully one day we're going to Jurassic film. Just saying, Universal, I'm free. I'm, I'm hireable. Moving onwards from that, though, then we got to talk about the second animatronic. And this one, like we talked about in the very beginning of the pod- part of the segment, to say the least, on the podcast, was it's only built from the waist up. And this one was built for the scene where it's up close and personal with Grant and the kids in this in the paddock breakout scene, one which is legendary movie scene. Of course, where if you listen to this podcast, you know all about it. But this one was different than the other one because, like I said, waist up. But also, this was more detailed in the skin, the eyeball movements, everything like that. It was more detailed than or the big, huge one. Meaning there's more personality to it. Meaning there's more fear. I would say that's added to the dinosaur, how it looks, you know, with the eyeball movements, like I said, with scarring, with scales, or I guess you could say skin, not scales, but the leathery hide. There we go, leathery hide. And the teeth detail, everything like that was more highly done. So it took them a little bit longer than 16 weeks to build the second animatronic because they wanted that detail because Spielberg wanted it to look 
animalistic and real. And which it did. Like, we looked at it, it gives me chills to see it in the big screen. And every time I watch that scene, it gives you chills. We've all seen it more than 100 times. Don't you lie. Now, of course, though, we can't not talk about the sound of this dinosaur because we hear it all the time. It's so iconic. It's in our toys. It's in commercials. It's in movies that like steal the sound and put it for their own dinosaurs. It's all over the place. And of course, on the hatchery, we got to talk about this. So the sound was actually done by Gary Rydston. And he actually used his dog, to be honest with you guys. He actually really did use his dog in order to get some of the sounds. He used a combination of his uh, Jack Russell Terrier, baby elephants, gators, lions, tigers, and whales in order to make the Tyrannosaurus Rex sounds. Which, you know, makes sense. And fun fact, for sound of dinosaurs in films and whatnot, especially Jurassic, it's never just one animal that they use to make the sounds. Because you can clearly tell when they do that in games and whatever, it's like a tiger or like a weird or a lion or something or an alligator sound. But when you combine the sounds, you get something really animalistic and primal and prehistoric that you don't often see them do anymore. It's very, very rare, but I'm glad to see they still do that in modern Jurassic films. And that's a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the first ever segment of The Hatchery. I've been your host, Dakota Morgan, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed this little segment where we talked about the most iconic dinosaur, I think, in the Jurassic franchise. I'm sort of biased to the Brachiosaurus, so maybe that one's a little bit higher, but let's be honest here. In movie franchise history, in the history of it all, the T-Rex, it, it wins. It really does. And we're paying tribute now to the people who have built the animatronics, you know, the cast who worked with them. We always pay tribute to them, but the people who designed and built these dinosaurs, we learn about them now, what it was like to build them, what it was like on the set life. It's the point of the hatchery, to give you guys more behind-the-scenes knowledge and to pay tribute to these people who well deserve it. And of course, you know, without those folks, the cast and crew, who I want to say thank you right now, there would be no dinosaur collecting toys, like our toy collecting, which I love doing with a passion and also Jurassic toy photography. Who doesn't love that? We wouldn't have the wrecks that we have now. And the iconicness, the iconic roar, all of it. And now you learned about how they made both of those, because there's two, if you paid attention, there was two, how they made the dinosaurs. But if you guys want to stay in touch with everything I do, you can follow me at DakotaMorgan3 or on Twitter, or at Dakota underscore Morgan 97 on Instagram to keep in touch with all the movie stuff I do, uh, television stuff, comic stuff, podcast stuff. Jurassic Toy Photography, you can follow me on there. And of course, don't worry though, we have plenty of animatronics that we can talk about in the hatchery in the upcoming segments from Jurassic World, the first one, not literal that there was. Also, Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic Park 3, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, there was more than just the T-Rex in there, of course, y'all know. So there's so many things to talk about. And of course, so shout out to me if you guys want to on there or the Facebook group for the Jurassic Park podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe because it helps us all out greatly. Let us know what dinosaurs you want to see next. There's a list. But maybe if the fans want some more information on one and it's further down the list, maybe I'll push it up. Who knows? Maybe. You are rock, though, and we're all part of the best fandom, I think. Yeah, I'll go on record and say the Jurassic fandom is like non-toxic. It's so beautiful. It's fun. We're great guys and gals everywhere across the world. You all rock. And so without further ado, though, I will end it in the wise words of Tom who you all know on the podcast. And those wise words that we can definitely need to need to remember these days is Stay safe and stay Jurassic.
Thank you so, so much for listening to the 245th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Thank you so much to Dakota for joining the team and debuting a brand new segment called The Hatchery. And this is exactly what I call out to uh, to all of you to do is to contact me and say, you know what, I've got an idea or, hey, I don't even have an idea, but I've got some inkling of inspiration or uh, a thing that I'm interested in. Whatever the case may be, we'll work with you. And that's what happened here with Dakota. We created this awesome segment and he is the one who produced the entire thing. It's not his first time around the block with podcasts, so you can obviously tell via the production right there. So thank you so much to Dakota for again for joining uh, our contributor team it, this this list of people is growing and growing at some point I think the entire community is going to be a part of the show and that is awesome to me so thank you to Dakota and uh, for all of you for listening to this one and like I said if you guys have an idea of your own make sure to reach out and let us know I'd love to uh, to work with you guys on a brand new segment as well So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you are all staying safe, uh, wearing your masks, doing what you got to do to stay healthy. And uh, I appreciate each and every second that you listen to this podcast. So thank you so much. And I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to myself for the outro. Thanks, everybody. Saddle up. Let's get this movable feast underway. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Jurassic Park Pod and myself at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So please be sure to subscribe. Also, don't miss our toy hunts and reviews, in-depth bonus content, live streams, gameplay, events and theme park coverage, and so much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of every episode, so please be sure to spare no expense. Don't miss us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com, where you'll find today's episode show notes, wonderful articles, bios from our contributors, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or email us, JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now. Okay, team, listen up. We've got a new predator on the loose. Not you, Blue. The predator we're talking about is the coronavirus. And I'm gonna help you spot the main symptoms in the wild. First, watch out for a high fever. Second, a dry cough like this. Third, trouble breathing. It might even sound like this. Whoa, whoa, back up, Blue. Don't forget about social distancing. Keep at least six feet away from anyone you don't live with. Good job, Lou. We all have to be extra vigilant if we want to beat this virus, even if we don't have any symptoms. That means always protecting ourselves and each other. Because this virus, it's invisible. It's made up of germs just like these. 
could literally be anywhere. It attacks our bodies. Oh, Blue! Hang on, Blue. Drop it. Drop it. It's okay, girl. It's okay. Which brings me to my last point. Always wash your hands thoroughly for at least 20 seconds with soap and warm water. No! Hey, come back here! Remember, we're all in this together. Teamwork is our best defense. Blue? Blue? No! Don't eat the soap! Drop that right now! Oh. Should be burping bubbles for a week! 